Today we finish our series in relational wisdom. Relational wisdom. Next week we'll start a three-week series focused on missions as we get ready for our missions conference in September. Stay tuned for more details on that. Relational wisdom. According to the Bible, wisdom starts with a proper understanding of life so that we can grow in our ability to deal with the challenges of life. You can't know how to deal with the challenges if you don't know, if you don't have a proper understanding of life itself. And as we all know, our relationships need wisdom in order for them to be healthy and to flourish. That's why we've been looking at topics like our words and our anger and our friendships and our forgiveness and our influence. Remember, the Proverbs are not promises, right? They're principles that help us walk the path of wisdom. How do you grow wise? Wisdom's not a door. You don't just enter and oh, you're wise. No, it's a path. It's either the path of wisdom or the path of folly. And it's the daily things you make, the small decisions you make to walk the path of wisdom that eventually will make you wise. And that's what we've been looking at. Today we finish with a theme in the Proverbs that has a big impact on our relationships, and that is envy. You heard it in our songs, in our gospel proclamation, wisdom for our envy. Turn with me to these two Proverbs, and then we'll get into it. Proverbs 14.30, and then we'll jump to Proverbs 23.17 and 18. you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the rack there in front of you, grab that. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. Proverbs is right in the middle of the Bible. Proverbs 14.30, here's the first one. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And Proverbs 23.17 and 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. This is God's word. Envy might not seem like such a big deal to some of us. Maybe you don't even think you have a problem with envy. But the truth is, envy is a big deal, and it affects nearly every one of us, whether we like to admit it or not. Envy creeps. It's one of those things that creeps up when you least expect it. Have you ever walked by someone else's lawn? (laughs) You know, you're just minding your own business, taking a walk. My next-door neighbor, God bless him. You walk by, it's like picture perfect. It's like someone has cut every piece of grass the perfect length, the identical length. It's green and flourishing. He uses this company that like trims all the bushes and trees. I mean, it's like, I'm, I want to lay on it. It's better, it might be softer than my own bed. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm, I'm envying his lawn. That's envy, Right? Your friend falls in love and gets married. And you're supposed to be excited, and you kind of are, but deep down you're a little bit angry because they have found someone and you haven't. I mean, they aren't even as nice of a person as you are. (laughs) 
They haven't even tried as hard. That's envy. Many people in, in the circle, your circle, whatever circle that is, many people in your circle your uh, friends have bigger homes or nicer cars. And you've been sacrificing to provide for your family and, and to give generously to the Lord. But it seems unfair that they get to experience many of the luxuries that you would want. That's envy. Two friends get married. One gets pregnant and the other one can't. And it leads to resentment. That's envy. This teacher always has the best bulletin board. <laughs> that teacher is always so liked by the students. They're so cool. It's so annoying. That's envy. Envy is a theme of very famous stories. In Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, it's, it's what drives Cassius to lead the plot to kill Caesar. It was envy. In the movie Toy Story, the first one, Woody's envious of Buzz. You're not even a real space ranger. <laughs> it's envy that drove so much of the pain and frustration for Woody. Look, envy is all around us. Why? Because envy is lurking inside of us. Do you struggle with envy? Do you even know if you do? For the sake of our relationships with each other and with God, we need wisdom for our envy and praise God he provides it. Let's look at the lessons from these Proverbs. Two lessons today, two. Lesson number one, understand envy and be, a, be on guard against its poisonous impact on your life. Go ahead and write that down because I'm going to jump to Psalm 73 in just a second. Understand envy and be on guard against its poisonous impact on your life. Do you understand what envy is? We'll come back to the Proverbs, but I want to I give you an illustration. I want to show you in real life, this is what envy looks like. The perfect example, Psalm 73, written by a man named Asaph, and he, and he illustrates what envy does to us and how it plays out. Listen to Psalm 73, the first couple of verses. Asaph says this, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are flat, fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. And he goes on and on and on. Asaph, the writer of the psalm, describes how, how envy caused him to nearly stumble and slip. We'll come back to that. That's what envy does. It creeps up on us. You don't see it coming until you stumble over it. What did he envy? Verse 3, he envied the prosperity of others. Notice that? They always have more than enough. Ever felt that? Verse 4, he envied those bodies who are fat and sleek. In other words, he was envying those who had great-looking bodies. Look, they, they don't even do anything. I, they, they eat whatever they want. Look how good they look. And I'm like barely eating anything. And I'm like, boom. <laughs> Verse 5, they're not in trouble as others are. You look around, those people don't have the same kind of challenges that I do. 
Things just seem to go right for him or her or them. That's envy. What is envy at its core? Envying is wanting what others have. Wanting what others have. Wanting the life of another. Asaph wanted to have the life that those people had out there. And envy caused him to be, become fixated on what others have that he doesn't have. That's envy at its core. Wanting what others have. Wanting the life of another. But it's not just that. It builds upon that. Envy is not just wanting what others have. It's also resenting them for having it. He saw the good in their life and it didn't cause him to rejoice over that good. It caused him to be discontent and angry that he didn't have those things. He didn't have that kind of life. That's envy. Look, it's possible to see what someone else has and to not be envious. You can look at the skill or the wealth of someone and and truly, genuinely admire it. My family roots for the Baltimore Ravens. That wasn't meant to be like, like a, a bad statement, okay? So just, and we love watching their kicker, Justin Tucker. He is truly the GOAT. If you're over 40, he's the greatest of all time, okay? G-O-A-T. Um, so when we watch him, when we watch him kick, we, we marvel. We never think, man, how much, why is he so much better than us? I can't believe it. No, we think, wow, this guy's amazing. That's not envy, right? We're, we're amazed by it. We're thankful for it. Envy is seeing the skill or success or the looks of someone else and wishing you had it instead of them and resenting them that they have it instead of you. You know another way of recognizing envy? When something bad happens to someone you envy, you actually find some satisfaction in that. Envy means you're unhappy at other people's happiness or you get happy at their unhappiness. If you see that famous person and something bad happens and you're kind of like, serves him right, that's not great. A good example of envy, in my opinion, is Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Right? Gollum is someone who found this ring, the ring that rules them all, this special ring, and it became his everything. It became what he calls his precious. But then he loses the ring, and Bilbo Baggins finds it, and he keeps it, and later he gives it to his nephew Frodo. And all throughout the Lord of the Ring books, Gollum is so bitter that Frodo has this ring because he thinks that he deserves the ring. It belongs to Gollum, he thinks. And it's ultimately that envy and bitterness that will drive him to his demise. And whenever something bad happens to Frodo, he rejoices because he is overwhelmed by envy. Look at Proverbs 14.30 again. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. This verse teaches that envy can have physical consequences in your life. There is a psychosomatic connection. Envy literally eats away at a person like a cancer. That's what he means when he says envy makes the bones rot. 
Envy can lead to physical things. It can lead to being angry all the time. It can lead to hives breaking out. Envy can, can lead to eating disorders. Envy can lead to greed. Envy can lead to cheating. Envy can lead to rage. And envy can, can lead to just simply not thinking straight. It is quite literally a poison to your soul. It can destroy your mental, emotional, and physical health. Why am I saying that? It's important to remember so that when envy begins to creep into your heart, you know what you're dealing with. It's not benign. It's dangerous. You don't play with dangerous things. If it begins to spread, you are in grave danger. So be on guard against it. Be aware of the areas that you're most likely to be tempted by it. You cannot wait until it's full-blown and expect it to go away easily. When you're checking social media and you see those friends who are so ha- friends who are so happy, right? How come they get to go to the concerts that you always want to get to go to? Or they're always on these dream vacations or their children are so well-behaved and they look so good or they have so much freedom and all of a sudden you feel that discontentment Why don't I have those things? Why don't I have? That's the beginning of envy creeping in. Then you start typing something in or or doing whatever you do. You start, it changes how you live. Discontentment is the seedbed of envy. That's why all the marketing strategies are show them what they would like and don't have and and convince them they desperately need it. But envy goes deeper, it, it, it literally makes you question God's goodness toward you. It's not just why do they have what I don't have, it's why has God provided for them and not me? Why has God given them that kind of life and not me? You have to be on guard against it, it's, it's insidious, it creeps in. When we least expect it, that it's often hidden. That's why Asaph said his foot almost slipped. He started to stumble. Don't you see? We, can, we, we know things like greed and lust and pride. We know they're deadly to our souls. But we look at envy and we go, it's, honestly, it's very petty, isn't it? I want what you have. It's like you're a kid in the sandbox, right? It's, it's kind of petty, so we don't want to admit envy. It feels very petty. And if you're not careful, you will stumble and slip. Why is envy so evil? Why is it a form of foolishness in the Proverbs? Precisely because envy indicates you don't trust God's heart toward you and you don't trust God's plan for you. Envy is foolishness because it makes you think you could do a better job at managing your life than God could and is. Envy is evil because it breeds that discontentment that leads to bitterness and ultimately to futility. If you continue in Psalm 73 and verse 13, he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. All in vain. It's that serious. And if it could catch us off guard, then I must ask you to consider this morning what areas of your life might you be struggling with envy? Some of us have this persistent struggle with self-pity. 
you're generally unhappy with how your life is going, how your career is going, or how your marriage is going, or how your health is going, and you have this malaise about your life, and, and you think everyone else has it better than you. Can't you see that as envy? Some of us are constantly comparing ourselves to others. Now, comparison isn't always bad. But if you're always comparing and you're finding that that your job isn't good enough or your body's not good enough or your marriage is not good enough or your salary is not good enough, envy has already started to take root in your heart. And it's a poison. It poisons your ability to appreciate the good things that God has given you. It poisons your ability to appreciate the body that God has given you as a gift. It poisons your ability to appreciate the relationships in your life that are a gift. Envy destroys relationships. Think of David and Saul. Right? Saul was so envious of David, it led him to want to kill David and murder him if he could. Look, envy will steal your joy like nothing else. If you struggle with joy, you might need to ask yourself, has envy crept in? The opposite, according to Proverbs 14.30, of envy is contentment. He says, Solomon says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. A tranquil heart means a heart that's at rest. It's a perfect picture of someone who's satisfied in what she has. A person who's content with what God has provided. Resting in God's goodness. Look, just like envy can have disastrous physical and emotional and spiritual consequences, contentment, being satisfied with God has provided, can also have wonderful physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual benefits. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. Uh, Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Or you could say this, maybe, contentment could literally lower your blood pressure. It could. You also might need medicine, but it could. (laughs) We need to understand envy. And be on guard against this poisonous impact on our lives. Lesson number two. You find healing for envy by looking up and looking ahead. By looking up and looking ahead. Look at uh, Proverbs 23, 17 to 18 again. I'll read it. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. And then he says in verse 18, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Find healing for envy by looking up and looking ahead. Two cures for our envy. Looking up to God and looking ahead to our future. He says, instead of envying others, continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. To continue, that word means, we mu- it means to be completely devoted, to be passionate about the fear of the Lord. And then to add emphasis, he says, all the day. What's his point? It's that every day we are to set our devotion, our commitment, our allegiance on the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means we wake up recounting and resting on God's promises. Don't wake up, and, and this is a warning, don't wake up and just start immediately thinking about your day 
or immediately thinking about your problems, or immediately thinking about what you don't have. Start your day by recounting and resting on God's promises. What does he promise you today? I will be with you. What does he promise you today? I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. What has he promised you today? It means you wake up recounting them. It means you go through each day actively giving thanks for what God has provided rather than dwelling on what he hasn't provided. Actively continue, it says, all the day. I don't care how you do that. Some people use a prayer journal. Some people just say it out loud and they pray throughout the day. Some people talk about it with others. You got to figure out how to do this. It means we live for his kingdom priorities, not ours. How's your gratitude? Show me your level of gratitude in life and you'll show me whether you fear the Lord. When he says continue in this all the day, doesn't it become evident? That means you are not going to learn how to fear the Lord by a 10-minute devotional. There's nothing wrong with a 10-minute devotional. If that's all you got, do it. Absolutely do it. That's a good thing. It's food for your soul. But he's talking much more than that. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm trying to teach you how to walk down the path of wisdom. And the 10-minute devotional should stir your heart and renew your mind, yes. But he's asking really all the day, are you walking the path of wisdom? Remember we said walking means step by step. It's the boring things. It's the unassuming things throughout the day. To fear, to fear the Lord means you stand in awe of the majesty and beauty of God. It means you're both humbled and delighted by the presence of God in your life. Remember Asaph, he said, my foot almost slipped. He started to envy others to the point of exasperation. But then it says in verse 17 of Psalm 73, he says this, that was until I went into the sanctuary of God. He was starting to look at life from his limited, skewed human standpoint, and that's dangerous. But he says, then I went into the sanctuary. What does that mean? It means he actually began to worship. He began to worship God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. His knowledge of God's power and God's goodness moved from intellectual understanding to heart transformation. In other words, he didn't just know that God loves him and has been good to him. He started to sense it. He started to feel it. He started to really know God really loves me. He really has been good to me. I know it. Look, it's one thing to, it's one thing to like listen to a song. It's another thing for, to be moved by a song. To experience that song. That happens in lots of different, it's one thing to watch a movie. It's another thing to feel like, like you can relate to it. It's, it's moving you or a play or to, just to look at art. You can walk by art and go, oh yeah, that's a million dollar painting. Or you can look at it and be like amazed by it and it does something to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? To fear the Lord means you're worshiping the Lord, that your thoughts and your desires are so focused on Him that you're reaffirming His goodness that it begins to, you begin to actually taste and see that the Lord is good and not just know that the Lord is good. To fear the Lord is to say with Asaph, at the end of this psalm, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you believe that? (laughs) Do you believe that God may not satisfy your every desire, but he does satisfy your deepest desires? Do you believe that even if your body doesn't work, even if your body doesn't look like it's supposed to, even if your job isn't as rewarding as others, even if your life hasn't turned out the way others have turned out, that God is the strength of your life. And that he is your portion. Or do you need more money to be your portion? Or do you need a better relationship to be your portion? You see, the fear of the Lord can heal our envy. It can lead to a satisfaction in God. It can lead to gratitude for his gracious provision and trust in his fatherly care over our lives. Is God the strength of your life and your portion? I want to tell you today, it's possible to say with absolute certainty, yes, God is my strength and my portion. You can say that today with absolute certainty. Do you know that? You see, when Jesus Christ came to live on this earth, he lived the life that you and I should have lived, but couldn't. He was perfect. He never envied what other people had. He never had to, right? He was was complete and he was content. Now, look, the devil tried to tempt him to envy, didn't he? He tried to get Jesus to desire life with instant gratification, life without suffering, right? Be the Savior, but you don't need the cross. But he never gave in. Jesus was so satisfied with the Father's plan and the Father's love. And yet it was our envy that nailed Jesus to the cross. Matthew 26 and 27 literally say that. Envy killed Jesus. The popularity of Jesus led to the religious leaders having so much envy that they were convinced murder was the solution. And yet on the cross, Jesus experienced something far worse. On the cross, Jesus' heart and flesh failed just like Asaph said, and when he looked to the Father to be a strengthened portion, he found himself to be utterly alone. The Father turned away from his Son. Do you know why? Because it wasn't just the envy of the people back then that nailed him to the cross. Jesus was dying for you and for me. Jesus was experiencing all the punishment for our sin, including our envy. He was paying the debt we owed for all our wrongdoing, all our sinful longing for a better life, a better job, all our sinful comparison, all our sinful desiring of a relationship that is just beyond our grasp. Every time you resented someone else's looks, every time you were jealous of that coworker's promotion, it was envy that nailed our Savior to the cross. The one who knew no envy was condemned for our envy. But this is why the gospel is such good news, church. Jesus did it. He went to the cross. He died on the cross so that no matter what you have done, 
no matter how much you have messed up, no matter how bitter you have been, you can turn to Jesus by faith and say with absolute confidence that God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. Jesus lost it all so that you could have it all. Do you understand this? Jesus didn't deserve what he got, but he didn't get bitter. He did it so that we could get what we don't deserve, forgiveness, unconditional love, peace, purpose for living. God is our portion forever. Do you see what Jesus did for you? Do you see how much he loves you? And the more that reality of his love sinks in, the more healing you will experience from your envy. You see, the healing of envy comes by way of contentment in the Lord, and contentment grows the more you trust that God is for you and not against you. And that no matter what he calls you to endure, he will be the strength of your life and your portion forever. Christian, Christian, is God enough for you today? Maybe you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior. Do you need to do that today? I didn't ask if you're a good person. I didn't ask if you try to follow Jesus' example. That's not what it means to be a Christian. You can go to church every week and not trust in Christ, and you are as far from God as possible. Being a Christian, becoming a Christian means you admit your sin and you turn to Jesus and believe that he died for you and rose again for you, and you receive him by faith and not by works, and when you receive it as a gift, he transforms you, he changes you, he wipes your slate clean and says, you are my adopted son and daughter, and now you are my portion forever. That's what it means to become a Christian. And if you haven't done that today, I encourage you to do that. But notice the, song, the proverb doesn't just say to fear the Lord all the day. He says, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. We find healing from our envy not just by looking up to God in the fear of the Lord, but by looking ahead to our future. Envy has no place in the heart of a Christian who is convinced that Jesus not only died for you, but that he rose again so that you too could be raised to everlasting life. You see, the resurrection of Jesus radically changes everything. And it radically changes your future. I don't know what has happened to you. And I may not understand the pain of the wounds and the tragedies that you've endured. I do know the pain of losing a parent at a young age. I do know the sting of having friends betray us. I do know the pressures of financial hardship. I do know the agony of broken dreams. And I know firsthand what the battle of envy looks like in those areas. But what the Bible is teaching us here is that your devotion to Jesus Christ is never in vain. Whatever pain you must endure as you journey with Jesus through this broken world is never in vain. Why? Because he has promised to provide everything you need now for the journey, and he has promised to give you a future that is gloriously beautiful and good. Christian, one day everything you have lost will be restored, and you will find it sweeter for having first lost them. One day you will get more than your heart ever imagined or desired. I'm just asking, do you understand how important it is to remember that regularly? 
One of my favorite shows, and I, I'm just going to say this probably the rest of my life, one of my favorite shows that helps me picture heaven is called Extreme Home Makeover. I, I don't think they use it anymore. <laughs> I think it's off the air. But I used to watch it because I loved this moment. I lived for this moment. Right? They'd go to a house and it'd be all dilapidated and they'd tell you the story of this family, usually a very heartbreaking story, things beyond their control and the house is a wreck and the house is in disarray and it's usually almost unlivable and an extreme home makeover goes in and they send the family away for a week and they start designing and looking at things and, and, and saying, oh yeah, yeah, let's tear down this wall, let's take out the roof and go up a level, let's do all, let's do, let's gut this and they bring the whole community and the whole community helps out and they're working literally around the clock and you're seeing the transformation takes place and then they finally bring the family back and there's this large bus in front of the house so the family can't see it and so they're there and they're asking the family what do you think you th what do you think they did to your room well maybe maybe they gave me a desk or, or maybe they cleaned this wall off or maybe they did this and they're, they're just talking and they say okay here we go count of three you know what they say move that bus, right? On the count of three, move that bus. And then the bus moves away and then there's this moment it goes, oh. I'm telling you, that moment, that moment that takes their breath away, that moment that they realize it's beyond what they could have imagined that even their wildest dreams couldn't have imagined it like that. And they usually go, free, free. We paid off your house. It's yours. Just live in it. That's what heaven will be like when we see Jesus Christ, when we appear with him in glory. And the good news is that aha moment will never go away. It will be an un un unending aha moment. Christian, one day you will get back everything you lost and you will get all the things you never had. Christian, the best is yet to come. One day you will live in the presence of God himself in whose presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And if you think that's just pie in the sky, no. Surely you have a future and your hope will not be cut off. That's what the resurrection of Jesus guarantees for you. Do you realize that future hope is meant to fuel contentment and gratitude today? Let's look up to Jesus in the fear of the Lord and let's look ahead to our future that is guaranteed and find healing for our envy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the, the humility and brokenness of admitting we're like Asaph. Envy has tripped us up. Our feet have stumbled. We thought we were all good. We thought the path was smooth and then it just out of nowhere it comes. We thank you today, Lord, that even in our stumbling, you are so gracious. You are so kind. 
You don't immediately disqualify us. You don't count us out. You come down. You don't even just cheer us on. You came down and ran the race we should have run and finished it so now we can look to you and find that you are living within us, giving us everything we need to keep looking to the finish line, to keep looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus, we're just asking, I'm asking on behalf of my church family, would you help us be a church that finds healing in the unconditional, unwavering, unmatched love of Jesus so that we might be a, a, a body of believers that goes into the world to live and do things and make a difference and, and live in whatever house we live and drive whatever car we drive and, and have whatever salary we make and whatever relationship you, you choose to provide or, and you choose to take away and say, Jesus, you are our strength and our portion forever. Help us on this side of the journey as we get ready and look forward to you moving that bus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.